Tonight we turn our attention to another one of those hallelujah psalms that form a marvelous crescendo at the close of the Psalter. Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. And he has lifted up a horn for his people. Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Father, I pray that this very sermon would be an act of my praising the Lord. I pray that in our hearts as we hear and respond in faith that our hearts would be praising you and that we would leave tonight praising you with our lips even all the more. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you could hear as we read this psalm the echoes of that famous hymn by Francis of Assisi paraphrased in English by William Draper, all creatures of our God and King. Actually, of course, it's the other way around. The hymn is an echo of the psalm. And the hymn helps us encapsulate what this psalm is calling for, what it's really all about. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh, praise him, alleluia. That's the call of this psalm, is it not, over and over again, that all creatures should praise the Lord. The burning sun with golden beam, verse through 3. The silver moon with softer gleam in the same verse. The rushing wind that is so strong, verse 8. The clouds that sail in heaven along, verse 8. The lights of evening, verse 3. And mankind as well, as in the third verse of Assisi's hymn and in verses 11 through 14 of this psalm. Let all things their creator bless. That is the cry of Psalm 48. We'll come back and sing such a cry on Sunday morning, Lord willing, in the words of Assisi and Draper. But tonight we hear that cry in the very words of God himself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in his heights. Praise him all angels. Praise him all hosts. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, kings of the earth and all peoples. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 148 is very simply a call for God's praise. And that is our first heading tonight, a call 
for God's praise. That's what the psalmist is issuing over and over again in this psalm, isn't it? He's calling on various creatures to praise their creator. Notice it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, and so on. Verse 13, let them praise the name of the Lord. And then notice in verse 14 that God has ordained praise for all his godly ones as well. So that from beginning to end, what this psalm is doing is the same thing that Francis of Assisi's hymn does. Namely, it calls upon all creation, including mankind, to lift up our voices and sing the praises of of our maker. Psalm 148 is fundamentally a call for God's praise. But let's just unpack that a little bit because I want you to see five spheres from which the psalmist seeks to elicit that praise. Five spheres from which he is calling for praise. First, he says in verse 1a, praise the Lord, verse 1b, excuse me, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord from the heavens. And then verses 2 through 4 list various bodies in the heavens that should join in the song of praise. Angels, sun, moon, stars, and so on. And then verses 5 through 6 give the reasons why such heavenly bodies should praise the Lord. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Now here we have a a similar theme to the one we saw in Psalm 147 last week. Not only does God know the number of the stars, which scientists now estimate at one to two trillion, and not only has he named all of them as we saw last week in Psalm 147 verse 4, but he it is also tonight in verse 5 who made them all and by whose word they hang in place. Verse 6. And the psalmist looks out on all these stars, verse 3, and at the moon as well, and on the vast expanse in which they hang, verse 4, and he calls upon all of these heavenly bodies to praise the name of the Lord. And he calls upon the angels, the heavenly hosts, to do the same up in verse 2. The angels You may know have other jobs as well. At least some of the angels have other jobs. But the angels were created also for praise. As we see in the book of Revelation with the four living creatures hovering around the throne and singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Sing like that, says the psalmist to the angels in verse 2. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Do what you were created to do. And so that's the, the first sphere from which the psalmist is calling forth praise tonight. Praise the Lord from the heavens in verses 1 through 6. 
But then notice, secondly, that he's also calling forth praise from the earth. Verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth. And then, as he did with the heavens, the psalmist goes on to list various earthly creatures that should praise the Lord in verses 7 through 12. Sea creatures in verse 7, the weather should praise the Lord in verse 8, the landscape and vegetation should praise the Lord in verse 9, animals, reptiles, and birds should praise the Lord in verse 10, and mankind as well in verses 11 and 12, great and small, male and female, young and old. Praise the Lord from the earth. And then as he did in verses 5 and 6 with the heavenly bodies, the psalmist in verse 13 gives the earthly creatures now a reason why we should praise the Lord too. Presumably, we have the same reasons to praise him as do the heavenly bodies in verses 5 and 6 because God created us and God sustains us. But now in verse 13, he gives us a further reason for our praise. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. Praise the Lord, in other words, because the Lord is glorious, so glorious in fact that really, verse 13, he is the only one worth praising. His name alone is exalted. And so this is the second sphere from which the psalmist speaks to call forth praise. Praise the Lord from the heavens, verses 1 through 6. Praise the Lord from the earth, verses 7 through 13. But then notice that within those two spheres, the heavens and the earth, within those first two spheres, the psalmist speaks to a couple different subgroups that will be worth us noticing. So thirdly, notice that the psalmist seeks to elicit praise not only from the heavens and from the earth, but from the intelligent. From the intelligent. From angels, verse 2, and from men, verses 11 and 12. He seeks praise, in other words, for God from those who know that they're praising the Lord. From those who understand, at least in measure, the reasons why they're praising the Lord. Not all of the things that he calls upon to praise the Lord can actually read this psalm or know that they're praising the Lord, but we can. Those of us who have been given to think, those of us who have been given rational powers, those of us who have been given moral responsibility, those of us who have been given the ability to use language, surely we intelligent creatures must use our intelligence to praise the Lord. For instance, we must study his creation and the attributes of God that we can see reflected in what he has made, Romans 1, and give God praise for what we understand of him in what we see. The animals, the fish, the clouds, the wind, none of them can consider the design of a butterfly's wings or the complex structure of a human eye, or the vast ecosystem of the earth's oceans, or the way of a man with a maid. But we can understand those things, at least in some measure. And we must praise God for what we learn about him by observing the things that he has made. And then we must study his word, too, which gives us an even more clear picture of him. And we must praise God for what we find there as well. Plants and animals, sun and moon, they can't read Psalm 148. 
or the book of Genesis, or the prophecy of Isaiah, or any of the four Gospels, or the epistle to the Romans. But we can, and we must do so, and we must use our unique intelligence, and the angels must use theirs, so that we have all the more reason to praise the Lord. So praise the Lord, you intelligent creatures. Praise the Lord, you who know how to reason and think, and who have moral responsibility and the facility of speech, and use those things to praise the Lord. But then notice in the fourth place, the psalmist also calls for praise even from the unintelligent creatures of the heavens and the earth. Sun and moon, verse 2, stars, verse 3, the heavens themselves, verse 4, sea monsters, verse 7, weather, verse 8, Mountains, hills, and trees in verse 9. Animals, reptiles, and birds in verse 10. Even though none of these creatures can read God's word or reason about God's world, yet the psalmist still calls on them to praise their maker. And I think the way that works is that the sun, for instance, simply by doing what God made it to do, praises its maker. When the sun gives light and heat to the earth, when it makes plants grow and snow melt and vitamin D well up in your body, when the sun does what it's created to do, it is praising the Lord thereby. And the psalmist here calls on it to keep on doing that. And we can speak similarly about the moon orbiting the earth, tethered by gravity, also created by God, and reflecting the sun's light back to us at night. And we can call on the great whales churning through the ocean depths in verse 7, showing off in their own might that their creator is surely mighty as well, and say, keep on doing what God made you to do. Praise the Lord, sea monsters. And the thunderstorms in verse 8, stripping the trees bare and demonstrating the power of God. And the trees sprouting fruit in verse 9 and demonstrating that God is the provider and teaching us something about the gospel as well. And the birds soaring on the breeze, verse 10, showing God as the inventor of physics and as the greatest engineer of them all. When all of these various creatures simply do what they were designed to do, they tell of the glory of God. They declare the work of His hands. They, in their own way, sing His praise. And the psalmist calls on them to continue doing so. Even though these creatures are unintelligent, the psalmist calls on them to use the faculties that God has given them as a way of showing forth God's praise. And if they, unintelligent as they are, are to use the faculties given to them for God's praise, and if they do so, then that gives all the more impetus to us who have been endowed with intelligence to use that faculty for God's praise as well. In the same way that God gave the sun its beams and the stars their light and the whales their fins and the wind its power and the mountains their height and the cattle their strength, all so that they might show forth his praise, God has given you reason and moral responsibility and speech and emotion for the very same reason, that you might use those faculties 
to show forth his praise. God made us all intelligent beings and unintelligent beings for his praise. And we who have the capacity to understand that have an even greater responsibility to get about doing that for which we were created. So there you have four spheres from which the psalmist is seeking to elicit God's praise. Praise the Lord from the heavens, verses 1 through 6. Praise the Lord from the earth, verses 7 through 13. Praise the Lord, you intelligent creatures, verse 2 and verses 11 and 12. Praise the Lord, you unintelligent beings, verses 3 and 4 and 7 through 10. But then notice, still under this first main heading, this first main umbrella of a call to God's praise, notice in the fifth place, in verse 14, the psalmist also calls for praise to come particularly from the saints, from the Lord's godly ones, from the Lord's people. Listen to verse 14. He has lifted up a horn for his people Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Praise must come particularly from the people of God. Now, it's true that praise must come in verses 11 and 12 from kings and princes, from young and old, from male and female. And it's true that the people of God, the saints, will be mixed in among those groups that have already been mentioned in verses 11 and 12. And yet, when the psalmist is compiling a list of those who ought to praise the Lord, he's not content just to lump the saints in with the rest of humanity because God has given the saints, a unique set of blessings and a unique reason for praising the Lord so that he uniquely mentions them as those who certainly ought to give God praise. He has lifted up a horn for his people, praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. What does it mean that he's lifted up a horn? Well, the horn, says John MacArthur, is a picture of Israel's strength and prosperity. It's a portrait of God's peculiar blessing on this people more than any other people on the earth. And because God has raised up this horn, because God has given them this unique blessing in verse 14a, and because God dwells with Israel in a unique nearness in verse 14c, he has also raised up for them a unique reason for praise. He says in 14b, he has lifted up praise for all his godly ones. And as Matthew Henry reminds us, the blessing on Israel that is spoken of here has now come upon the Gentiles through Christ. So that we who are in Christ live under God's unique blessing ourselves. And God dwells with us in a unique nearness too. That's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That God has raised up a horn, a unique set of blessings for all those who believe in his dear son. Forgiveness of sin, right standing in God's sight, adoption as his children, a part in his family, eternal life, all things for good, and so on. And as he did with Israel in verse 14, God calls those who are in Christ, verse 14c, he calls us a people near to him now in Christ Jesus Paul wrote you who formerly were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. And so like Israel of old, we who have been uniquely blessed by God, verse 14a, we to whom God has drawn uniquely near, verse 14c, have a unique calling in the middle of those two to praise God as well. He has lifted up praise for all his godly ones. In other words, he who lifted up this horn that, David, that the psalmist pictures has also lifted up for us a special call and reason to praise him. The saints, the godly ones, the followers of Jesus have more reason to praise God than anyone else. And so I have to ask you, if you're doing that, are you praising God, not just wrote with your lips, but really praising him in your life right now? Or have you fallen by the wayside when it comes to this matter of praise? Do you praise God for all the reasons that all mankind mentioned in verses 11 and 12 ought to praise him? Things like rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with gladness. You praise him because you have a roof over your head and you're healthy enough to be here tonight and you had enough food on your table this week. Praise God for the things that all people ought to praise him for and praise him specifically for the unique blessings that come to you, Christian, on account of Christ's sinless life and his atoning death and his resurrection and his intercession at the Father's right hand. He God has lifted up a horn for his people, a blessing for his people. He's lifted up praise specifically for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. Praise him from the heavens. Praise him from the earth. Praise him, you intelligent beings. Praise him, even you unintelligent beings on the outside of this room tonight. Praise him, especially from the church. Praise him, especially, in other words, you godly ones, you who have been bought with a price, you for whom Jesus shed his blood. That's the first heading tonight. It's really the main point of the psalm, a call for God's praise. But then secondarily, and more briefly, I do think we should see in this psalm not only a call for God's praise, but also a catalog of God's praiseworthiness. A catalog of God's praiseworthiness. In other words, while the main thing the psalmist is doing in Psalm 148 is calling on various creatures to actually do the praising, he also gives us, along the way, a catalog of reasons why. We've just been seeing one of those reasons when we considered the unique blessing of God on Old Testament Israel and now through Christ on his church. That reason for praise, the blessing and nearness of God in the gospel, could take up a great many pages of any catalog of God's praiseworthiness. And I hope it does so in your own. But there are other reasons cataloged in this psalm why we should praise the Lord. We saw, for instance, in verse 13, that there is no one else to exalt, really. His name alone is exalted. We might be tempted to exalt someone or something besides God. We might be tempted to exalt one or other of the creatures that we've been reading about in this psalm, in the heavens or in the earth. We might be tempted to become over enamored, for instance, with the angels, to talk about guardian angels more than we talk about God. 
Or we might be tempted during this busiest sports season of the year or during this crazy election season, we might be tempted to exalt young men, verse 12, who are really good at throwing a ball, or political princes, verse 11, and the judges whom they may or may not appoint. We might be tempted to exalt the plant and animal kingdoms to places of near worship, as some are doing in our day. But verse 13 reminds us that God's name alone is exalted. And then strikingly, the latter half of that verse reminds us that the glory of God is above earth and heaven. His glory is above earth and heaven. Earth and heaven, where have you heard those words before? Those are the two main locations, were they not, from which the psalmist has just been seeking to elicit praise, from which he's just been gathering a list of all the creatures that should praise the Lord, from earth, verse 7, and from heaven, verse 1. Earth and heaven, verse 13b, are the same places where we find the sun, the moon, the stars, the angels, the sea monsters, the fire, the hail, the cattle, the creeping things, the winged fowl, and so on. And says, verse 13, the glory of God is above earth and heaven. All these things in earth and heaven you might be tempted to exalt, to rely upon, to hope in, to praise, but the glory of God is above earth and heaven. The glory of God is far greater than these mere creatures that he's been talking about. It's like the psalmist is giving us a little hint here at the end of verse 13, not to worship the creatures, but to worship the one whose glory is far above those lower realms of heaven and earth. And what we should do instead, verse 5 and 6, is praise the one who made them and who holds them all in place. Now, I realize that what verses 5 and 6 are directly doing is calling upon the sun and the moon and the stars themselves to praise God that he has made them. But I think there is perhaps a hint here too that we who can actually read this psalm should praise God ourselves that he made those heavenly bodies. And the cataloging of other creatures in this psalm surely begs us to praise God for his making of them too. And so, enlisting all these various creatures that ought to praise the name of the Lord, the psalmist is indirectly giving us a whole host of Romans 1 sorts of reasons to praise the Lord ourselves. He's giving us a whole host of examples of what has been made, and therefore of how we can see God's attributes in his creation and praise him for them. For example... While Psalm 148 directly calls upon the stars, verse 3, to fulfill their part in the heavenly chorus of praise to God's name, this psalm also indirectly, by mentioning the stars and how they praise God, or should praise God, indirectly by mentioning those stars, the psalm, I think, is wooing you and I to look upon the stars ourselves. And to consider ourselves the God who made them, verse 5, and the God who holds them in place, verse 6, so that we will praise him for his creativity and power. This psalm ought to make us want, in other words, to go out on a clear night, maybe somewhere out in the countryside, and just stare into the vastness 
and consider what sort of God he must be who made all these brilliant heavenly lights and to praise him. This psalm ought to move us to sit in front of the window during a thunderstorm, verse 8, and marvel at the power of God on display and praise him. It ought to drive us to look at the fruit hanging heavy on an apple tree or to observe the peaks of the mountains reaching all the way up into the clouds or to see a great whale breaching the surface of the ocean in might or to watch a lizard clinging to the side of a stone wall and crawling straight up the side at a 90-degree angle or to watch a young man throw a ball 102 miles per hour and other young men actually sometimes be able to hit it. We ought to see all these things and praise the God who created such masterpieces. His invisible attributes, Paul says, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. And when we see such power, when we see God's divine nature reflected in the amazing design of his creatures, then kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children, ought to praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted.